everybody's gotta eat. And nobody likes getting sick. That's why heroes toil in the shadows, keeping your food safe at all points, from the supply chain to the point of sale. Join industry veterans Francine L. Shaw and Matt Ragusi for a deep dive into food safety. It all boils down to one golden rule. Don't eat poop. Don't eat poop. Okay, so right now we have Jill and Tia with us at the Food Safety Consortium. Jill and Tia, both of you guys, we are huge fans of you. We love your work and what you do. So we really, really love your work. So what is it for the audience? What is it that Catalyst does? What is it that you two do? Yes. So we focus on at Catalyst, our mission is to change the way people lead in food. And so we want people to lead authentically. We want them to lead with their best selves. And we want them to lead so that they can deliver the results that they need for their businesses. And the way that we currently lead as technical people is that we try to lead with what we call rational persuasion of show me the data, I'm going to tell you the why. But really what connects to people is the fact that we are human and to lead first with human skills, right? So at Catalyst, that's what we focus on. We focus on human skills. How do we lead in a different way? And because Jill and myself, we are both certified coaches, we incorporate coaching principles into everything that we do. And so that means that all of our programs bring out the coaching likes to think about that we all have and gifts to bring out. And coaching helps bring those gifts out of, of you so that you can live more authentically yourself. And so we build those coaching principles into everything that we do so that leaders can practice and reflect on what they're doing and you see more sustainable results. And I would just say, if we want better food safety, we need better leaders. And that's what we work on. Great point. Leadership is so important when it comes to food safety. And it's an element that sometimes is missed. I think that a lot of times what happens in the industry is we take our best employees and we promote them and they don't always make the best leaders. Your business and that's where we come in. Would come into play and be perfect for those situations. Yeah. So tell us a story. Give us a great success story. Ooh, a great success story. Um, there's so many. But what I love is when we have people who they go, gosh, I think I could do things better. And they're they're unsure. They're not sure what leadership looks like because they've gone through like a standard HR course, right? Snore. Like that's so exciting. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so they come into our course and they're like, we're going to give this a try. And they just like light up. They're energized because they see like, gosh, I don't have to, once again, bore people with statistics to make changes in food safety. Like, I can be human. I can ask and be curious about like what they love and what they believe in and connect with them as a person. And I have made a better community and culture at my workplace. To me, that's the success story. Yeah, I think so. One thing that comes to mind, too, is that during, so we have a leadership development curriculum, and a piece of that is what we call a technical leader boot camp. And one of the things that happened in the last cohort that we had is that we talk about building relationships, and we use this process called the three Ps. And it's all about learning about what people are personally are passionate about, professionally, and then what their priorities are as you're trying to build these relationships. And one of the people that was in our cohort, 
started using that. So a piece of our, all of our programs is that there's practice, right, and reflection. So they practiced for a week. They came back and told us that, wow, the amount of people that are starting to open up to them is just amazing. And they're one-on-ones, right? She's like, we have 30 minutes. So many of them ran over because she started using this process. And what she's found is even the information that she has been asking for for months and people just weren't telling her what she needed to know and needed to do, all of a sudden that information started flowing out of her people. And so just like those tweaks, right? And and sometimes it still kind of blows us away that just these simple concepts that people really need to understand, like they exist, number one, but how it relates to their job, which is the reason why we do it, because we are food safety professionals. We've worked in technical roles in in food. Be able to take that concept and say, I mean, everyone knows we need to build relationships, but how do I build relationships in a technical role, role in food? That's what we are helping leaders do. And so stories like that and the success that we see is so impactful even to us to say like, wow, like we really can change leaders in this industry. And that's our passion and and that's our mission. So it's a perfect example of learn by doing. Yes. Whoever it was learned the three Ps were like, oh my gosh, maybe I should try this exact same thing in my workplace and then saw amazing results. And I'm sure came back to the cohort and they're like, oh, maybe I should actually do it. Right. Like, how do we do this all the time? And and it was so funny because they were like, I can't get any work done. And we're like, because your work is people. And three people, (laughs) welcome to the change. (laughs) You've seen the light. (laughs) So you guys are are, are very easy to talk to. And that is going to come through in anything that you do together as a group, in your classes, your boot camp, whatever you do, which is going to be a... That's not the case in all seminars, in all all courses. So that's going to come through in whatever training you do, whatever boot camp you run, and that that that's a good thing. So I, I was sharing. I don't think that you were here, but I was sharing with Tia that your name has come up over and over again. The two of you, um, all very positive, <laughs> and the dynamic that you two have is a team. Is, is is very good. It's it's a very positive. Um, you've not been in business that long. It's not easy to do that. No, we're catching up to you, Francine and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how long have you guys been in business? Uh, just two years. Oh, yeah. I have to respond. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Can you top this? We started our business without even meeting in person. So yes. I, well, I, I, my question was going to, and I'm joking, I'm joking. That would be that would that would be great. Um, but my question is, how'd you meet? Oh, online. We're like the we're like the modern day meeting dating, right? <laughs> we're like swipe to the whichever way, and there was T and I connected. That's awesome. Yes, but really, it was it was online because I had started my coaching business and it was onboarding new food safety quality managers. Tia posted a job opening, so of course I was doing my good sales, you know, efforts. And I was like, hey, I see you have a job open. Do you know we do this? She was so kind. You know, a lot of times on LinkedIn, people are just like, they don't respond or, you know, you kind of get the, you get ghosted. She never did. And so we had just connected and we kept saying, gosh, someday we should do something together. Someday we should do something. And then boom. Wow. wow. So tell her. We met on LinkedIn too. Wow! Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we started talking. Like the first conversation was, uh, we were looking back, and it was only like six years ago. We feel like it's been ten years. 
just like, well, like my marriage is like. Yeah. Chelsea, I don't know life without you. Yes, so true. So we were we started talking on the phone, and probably like three days after we connected on LinkedIn, and it was like instantly we were we were just having conversation. And then about uh, a year into this, we were having pretty frequently conversations, probably about once a month, just bouncing off because she was more on the retail food service side, I was more on the supply chain side, and so we were we refer each other or just, and then we were like. Man, I think what we're talking about, people might actually like. We could probably do a podcast. It was like four years ago, five years ago. And it, yeah, and it took uh, that long before we actually started. Right. Yeah. And that's how it happened. Yeah. We met online. That's so awesome. I feel like, so you all met online before COVID. Yes. Right. So like we met, well, it was technically before COVID, COVID but when we started our business, right, it was sort of after the co- all the COVID and everyone going remote. And we always tell people, like, we ran a business for eight months. And I'm saying, like, monies were being exchanged and we were paying one another. And we were like, that's now that's a lot of trust into someone that you've never actually laid eyes on. And so it's just something that, like, I don't know if I would have done that like five years ago, but we've just kind of jumped into it. And maybe it just kind of just shows our passion in what we do, in the fact that we were able to identify, like, people need this. We love it. We're passionate about it. And people need it. And really, everyone needs it because food safety is so important to the food that we eat, not just the companies that's making it, you know, not just the people that work in the industry, right, because we need our jobs, but obviously consumers, which is all of us, right? We eat food. And so having the right leaders and people that can lead in food and food safety and in technical roles, like we must have that. And so that passion, you know, that I saw in Jill and just like the things that she just brings, like it was like, for me, it was like, oh yeah, we definitely need to work together. And it just, it just clicked. And it's like, it doesn't matter if I've never met you in person. Like I already feel like I know you, right. And I know your passion and and I understand you. And like, that's what we did until you came out to Baltimore, where I live. I just had a baby, so my baby was like four months old, so I couldn't travel. And so Jill was like, well, I'll just come out to you so we can do a strategy session. And she did. And that I, I feel like for me, that was just something that it just continued to click, right? Like, we work well together. We bounce off of each other. We have different strengths, right? So we lean into each other's strengths. And we're able to, I don't know, it just has made work so much fun um, and I don't know if I don't know if I would have done that before COVID. So it makes me feel better to know that you guys have only been uh, had your company for two years because I feel like I just knew about you guys two years ago, but it was such a huge explosion. Like, <laughs> like the content you guys create is just everywhere, and it's so good. And I was like, where do these people come from? Have I just missed them for? No, no, you just came in with a, with a vengeance. That was, that was part of our mission for world domination. <laughs> yes, it's working. <laughs> Okay, so I have a question for you. So every so in food safety, there's obviously a whole lot of scientists, engineers, and stuff like that. And there's this huge debate and kind of people get wrapped around the difference between hard skills and soft skills. What are you guys' thoughts on that debate? Yes, it's real. <laughs> Great answer. Well, you know, we talk about, well, we often ask the question, like, how many technical degrees or certifications do you have? And people will list off, I call it the alphabet soup, right? There's all these things. And then we say, how many leadership courses or certificates do you have? And it's like silence. 
you know, maybe that HR course, maybe one over here. And we're like, people, we're leading people. Yeah. Like we, we can't, not even in the same area. Do I like to speak data all the time? So <laughs> yeah. how are we going to start doing things that are more human and, and creating communities? So, you know, we really see the future of food safety and food safety culture being more about how are we taking care of people on our team, people in our organization, and then that will translate to the food safety we want to see. Yeah. But it and starts you, with us making the shift and seeing that that's important. Absolutely. And that's the reason why those soft skills, or we like to even say human skills, are important. Because like the technical skills are very important, right? We talk about them in school. We talk about them when we first join our, our jobs. We're constantly building them, like Jill said, just even the certifications that we get. We have all these acronyms behind us, right? Like we we understand that piece, but we miss that human side, the people side. But if the people and the businesses aren't treated well and they don't feel like they're appreciated, mm. none of the rest of that matters because they're not going to do their jobs. Nope. We always say food safety culture isn't a policy. Right. And uh, uh, I think I've said this multiple times on the podcast, but I could tell by food safety culture the second I get into the facility or even in the driveway, right? And as I'm driving up and um, I'm calling the food safety person asking where their office is, and I'm driving into the parking lot and they're like, oh yeah, we're the trailer that's a mile down on the parking lot away <laughs> from the plant. And I'm like, oh, I know how this is going to start, right? Like if if they're segregated away from the floor, which they're supposed to be managing for, for food safety, then the culture is going to yes. be very different yes. than what it is. And and I, we see that a lot too with my, um, with my auditors and myself when we are doing audits is a lot of times food safety professionals don't have the, the skill set to actually talk well to the managers and also explain the reasons why they're doing things. They may know why, but they, their their fear or in, inability to do it. And I'm not saying any, like, obviously not all of them, because I've, some of the best, smartest and professional people that I've ever met are food safety VPs, food safety managers. But there's definitely a good section of the industry where that is not the case. These, these, these poor men and women are literally set up for for failure right from the very beginning. And it's because they've not been taught. Doesn't and they're taught. just, some people yeah. just aren't born with that. No. You know what I mean? They've just not been taught. It's like trying <laughs> IT, <laughs> IT. It's like, don't speak IT to me because I don't understand yes. it. Yes. It's like, I need you to come down, you know? Right, right. Exactly what you all are talking about is the reason why we created Catalyst. Is because we are technical people, right? We're scientists, we're engineers, and we've worked in a technical role, technical yeah, roles, we right? We out over that stuff. We do, we do. And we know that this stuff is not taught, right? Like, for me, a lot of things came natural for me, like, from a leadership standpoint. And when I think back and try to think about, like, who taught me these things and how do I transfer this knowledge to someone else and how do I, you know, help someone else become this leader, it's one of the things that you just realize that people don't get these things early on, but it is so critical to how you lead. It's critical to culture. Without that, right, like you can't build, you can't build culture to what you really want it to be without those things. Don't you think a lot of it, and you and I had a conversation before all of this started, we talked for quite a yes. while, and we were talking about when I worked in the restaurant, my superiors would get upset because I made my job look really easy. What I was doing, I made my job look really easy. And it wasn't easy. 
but they treated my people with respect. So they would do anything I wanted them to. Yes. You know what I mean? With within reason, Matt. Don't don't get weird. <laughs> I know you. I know you. <laughs> so, He's just thinking it, not saying it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I have to watch him, you know. But they would do, you know, we would, like, clean all night, have all night cleaning parties, you know, pizza parties. And like, I'm assuming before I, you know, went out into the rest of the world that everybody was doing these things. You know, we scrubbed grout with a toothbrush. Oh, my <laughs> we goodness. Scrubbed my floor mom would drains. be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> we, scrubbed, oh we scrubbed floor drains with a toothbrush. I would come in in the morning and I would get down underneath the equipment and look with a flashlight to make sure that it was clean. Like, I was, I was obsessed but they knew that, and they did what I wanted them to do, but they were treated with respect, you know? And I would buy, like, movie passes and, like, God, I'm telling my age, movie <laughs> passes and give them free meals. And I would go in and clean with them, yes. you know? And these are the things that we did. It looked easy because I said please and thank you, and I worked with them, and it was—that culture was there, there was no magic bullet. There was no secret. There was, you know, don't you think that a lot of that sometimes is just kind of, it's missing? Yes. It, you know, and it's I, part of the leadership. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you brought this up too, where other people look in and think, wow, like what you have an easy group, right? Or what you're doing is easy, but they don't actually see the work that you're doing to build those relationships and learning about others so that you can treat them well, right? Because the way I want to be treated, the way Jill wants to be treated, that's different, right? And you have to figure that out as a leader on like, how do I treat you well? How do I inspire you, you know, in the role? And that's a lot of work and time that people do not see. Right. I never, ever have asked anybody to do anything that I wasn't willing to do myself. So if there was a nasty job in the bathroom— I went in and helped them. Yes. You know, if they were scrubbing grout, I'm not going to say always, but they'd seen me scrub that grout as well because I was, no matter what my position was, I wasn't too good to do that job. Yeah. I think that's the other part that there's so much separation or that's just the top-down approach, right? Like, I, this is what you do. You go do it and I do my own thing. But really, if we want to partner with people and build communities, we have to do it together. And I think the other part is it's intentional. I, yeah. You know, even as you talk about like working with your group or buying movie passes or free meals, like those things are intentional. It's not just the one time only. It's really thinking about what's meaningful for the other person. And even if you are the best and most natural leader, I think as we think about how people's needs are changing, it still means we have to actively work to say, what do I need to shift? Right. And if you want them to work on Black Friday, you need to be willing to work around a track schedule yeah. or a baseball schedule. Or, you know, if you want them to work, if you're open on Christmas and you want them to maybe give up part of that day, a couple hours, or you want them to work, maybe you only let them work in two-hour increments. Or maybe you let them, you know, you you work around the play schedule, the Christmas play. There's it's a give and take. Yeah, it's not it a is. constantly take. It is, and people have forgotten that. I'm on another soapbox. You are. You're 100 on a soapbox right now, and uh, and we like love it. We're like yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the mandatory Saturdays, or you know, and you find out on Thursday, and you already had weekend plans. Yeah, it's like we can't continue to operate like that and expect loy any amount of loyalty. No, yeah. Can't. So how does your cohorts work when you when you're talking about your cohorts? Like how how does that how, if somebody wants to 
that has a food safety position, like, I want to do this leadership training. What does that look like? How do they do it? Oh, it's easy. You just sign up. <laughs> it's magic. Right. It's not complicated. Is it free? Uh, no, I'm kidding. No, sorry. <laughs> don't talk prices. Do you know how yeah. it is? If things are free, people don't value them as yes, much. Yes. So down. You know what? We have to charge for this podcast. Right. <laughs> but, you know, we do have our real talk on Wednesdays on LinkedIn Live. And so we do definitely have a lot of free resources. Our leadership development curriculum, unfortunately, is not. But, you know, to Jill's point, like, organizations should be investing yes, in their leaders. You know, and and if you're not investing in your leaders, then you're really going to get what you have, right? Yep. And you're going to struggle through. And it's not going to look easy because it's not going to actually be easy because you're struggling each year, right, to inspire your teams to move in a direction. But they, I mean, they know, Jill brought up just a minute ago on how the way employees think about work is changing. And so that falls into retention and engagement and turnover. And the thing of it is, we are like missing it with, with how we treat people and how we build leaders because we're having a lot of turnover. We're having a lot of engagement issues and retention issues. And it's because we're ha we haven't been focused on the whole being. We haven't been focused on even the well-being of people. And that is where, and data shows it. We talk a lot about the Inside Employees' Minds Mercer Report for 2022, and they outline it so well on how employees are shifting the way that they think about work. And they said in that report that the organizations that's going to win the war on turnover and retention issues talent. and talent, right? The war on talent. Yes, that's what they said, is that the ones that get behind this shift and actually start to focus on the shift versus trying to stop it, okay. right? You're not going to stop it. Right, right. And so what is the what is the time commitment? Like if I'm a, if I'm a manager and my my CEO or my boss goes, you know what, this is this is great. We want you to do this catalyst training and, and sign up to be in the next cohort that you can. What does that look like for them? What does the what does the training look like? Yeah. So we have content available to introduce concepts that usually is like 15 minutes. It's online. People do it on their own time. But then we have weekly group coaching. So that's where we come together and we get to ask more questions and we share and learn. But we really ask some tough questions. Mm -hmm. We ask people to really look at how they're contributing and what's happening and what they're noticing. And they also have a workbook because sometimes you don't always want to do that right in a group coaching session. So they have opportunities to reflect and think about what they're doing and how that relates to people. And so our first tier of our leadership curriculum, I would say that most people enter through our boot camp and they get everything that Jill talked about. And that's a 14 week program. As you go through the different programs in our curriculum, it changes. So our next stage is what we call strategic leader. And that's a little bit more involved in starting to grow those concepts. We actually have a capstone project that's associated with it. And so now that's a little longer time commitment, but there's more time to reflect and to practice. So it depends on which part of the program you're in on how long, but most people go through our boot camp and that starts with 14 weeks. Yeah. And that's because we're not, we shouldn't be stagnant as leaders. And so the whole program was set, was set up to be progressive. So what I learned when I was first 
part-time manager is very different than what I needed as a director. And so the program is designed to have different stages. So as people go through, they can learn and practice these different skills. Right. So it's very different to be the one on the front line doing something, going out and and doing seek and destroy, for instance, and and finding, doing the swabbing. And so you're the, the food safety or quality tech versus then, oh, I have a team of people on the ground doing this, which five to 10 maybe, versus then managing managers. Uh, yeah, so each of those d- demands a different skill set. And uh, yeah, totally get it. Yeah, we like to talk about is as new competencies. So we talked a lot about like the technical things that we know, but like these are the new competencies, the, the human skill competencies that we want people to master. And it's important for people to build on them, right? Like some people want to jump to, oh, I want to, I want to be this strategic leader. But if you don't know how to build relationships, if you don't know how to influence and you haven't been practicing, then you're going to struggle with building a strategy and then quote unquote selling that strategy right to the organization. And so we really focus on how to build you as a leader. How do you build those skills and then build on top of those skills, right, as your scope change in your role? Even here, they were talking about succession planning, which is awesome. I mean, there's 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. But if we haven't learned how to make safe spaces or how to include people or have conversations that are meaningful, like no matter how we do succession planning, we're not going to understand where people want to be and what's important to them. So there's these core pieces that have to be in place before you can even do true succession planning that's going to mitigate risks as knowledge is going out the door. The problem with succession planning or the fear with succession planning is that uh, we're going to be losing amazing managers and talent which I think is accurate for a large percentage of it. But I can also say that it's, as some of those people leave, they weren't good managers to begin with. So if their team is coming in and they're like, well, we are going to do everything the way Joe did it. And Joe was a terrible manager. You're just, your succession plan is continuing terrible management. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, it's interesting too. Like a lot of people think about this negative of like, yes, like, people are going to leave the organization and we don't want to we don't want to plan for someone to leave the organization or we don't but in reality you know people are going to leave whether it is it's not a good fit for them whether it's they found a better opportunity which yay that's great you should or you promote someone and so you have to think about like you you're going to need someone to fill that role at some retirement right like there's a lot of reasons why people leave organizations and they're not all negative you have to prepare for that. And if you don't, what you'll find, right, is that you continue to see poor leaders. The strategy is all over the place. You have no idea what direction you're going in. It always feels like you're starting over. And that's because you haven't actually built a successful succession plan. Well, and sometimes there's the fear when you develop people, they're going to take your job. If only, right? You know, then we get to do something you different. Know, it was like, that was always my thought. You know, I developed these people, then I'm moving on. Yeah. yeah. You know, but... Yeah. What I worry about is the group of people who are like, oh my gosh, when we leave, what's going to happen? And I think, why would you fear that if you've been developing people? Yes. I actually worked in a, in a company where their sales leader switched hands every six to nine, uh, six to 18 months. And when I found that out after my first week there, 
I started saying to my sales team, um, I need to teach you a lot of stuff because I'm probably going to be gone. <laughs> like, like just giving the, the culture of this organization, I'm not quite sure how long I'll be. <laughs> and so it was, it was like, ah, well, I'm in it for however long it's going to be. But yeah, so I, I agree with you. You got to think about who's going to be taking the reins next. Yeah. And, and even as we talk about, you know, that people feel like they have to move out of an organization to move up or make more money. Well, you know what? You can create pathways within your organization. Yeah. But if you don't share, you don't ask, you don't spend any time doing it, yes, people are going to leave. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. No surprise. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is, oh my gosh. I Again, I think the reason why I, I was all, you just blew up in my mind was because the content that you provided on LinkedIn was like an ah moment for me. Like, ah, someone's actually doing this. <laughs> I've been thinking about this forever. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's great. So you, as a leadership coach, you actually had some leadership moments here at Food Safety Consortium. Yes. <laughs> so yes. What are your, what, what do you like about Food Safety Consortium and what, um, where do you see opportunities for improvement? I'll start. So one thing that I like about being here is really the people, being able to connect with people in a smaller setting even, where you can have those conversations. Hmm, I got to think about what I would say from improvement standpoint. You know, we love being here and being energized and engaged. And one thing that's different this year than last year is that there is more, a little bit more engagement I'm always looking for more engagement, you know, because this conference is heavy meetings and in, in, in terms of like topics, right? And someone either talking about the topic or there's a panel about the topic, how to continue to make that more engaging. And I don't know, it could just be a preference of us because everything that we do is engaging and interactive and we try to build everything around that. But I think that gets people involved and it's hard to sit in talk after talk after talk, which is a conference, right? But um, I'm always looking for how can we incorporate more engagement? Yeah, I think the things that you talked about that you like about it, ditto, Yeah, right? The small space or the small group is nice because you get to run into people more than once and yeah. have more conversation. And I agree with the, like, the engagement part. That's always one of those challenges. But I think even during some of the sessions and roundtables, you know, we like to try to include spots where we actually stop and have people start talking. And then we have to try to pull them back. That gets hard. <laughs> but that's, I think, what they're here for, like giving them permission to talk about this topic and giving them some prompts so that way they can do it and kind of break the ice and then share some more stories so we can learn more. Yeah, I, I agree. I, one other thing that I would add is adding more diverse speakers. And so in terms of all diversity, right? Like adding people that we haven't heard from, you know, adding people in different spaces, adding people that look different than other people. I, I think that's definitely an opportunity on where you can come and hear other great work that's happening in the space versus the same names we, we kind of see. 100%. And um, I, I just, I just gave a talk right now. And one of the one of the things I said to the room was, and it was it was on the cannabis side of things, was if you can emulate anything in food, it is your competitor is not your competitor in food safety. And food safety consortium and events like this allows different people to talk to each other about what's going on in their facilities and to trade information that is not competitive information it's not even commodity specific information 
food safety outbreaks hurt people. And what we, our whole entire job here to do, and you kept talking about, it's about people, it's about people, it's about people. And what we are doing is trying to save people's lives and at the furthest extent, but yeah. keep people out of the hospital, keep people out of the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, uh, uh, and that's not a competitive advantage. That's a necessity for, for, for civilization. Yeah. Especially when you put it in those terms. <laughs> so one last question for each of you. What does trust mean to you? What does the word trust mean to you? Oh, Francine, what a question. <laughs> a taskmaster. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure I even have a definition, but I think it's trust is when you know someone has your back. It's when you know you can rely on someone. It's when you know you can rely on something. So even when we talk about food safety, can we trust our industry to do the right thing? Can we trust people to do the right thing? And I think what's really fascinating is we've been coaching. One of the things that often comes up is the varying degrees of trust. And so I think learning like where people are on your trust scale, it's almost a scale. Like where are they and where are you on theirs? And just understanding that because for us to move forward, once again, we have to create safe spaces, which are all about trust. And so that's an area we still have to come to really understand what it means to us collectively so that we can make safe spaces. We can be inclusive. We can have the community that we want. So that's a really long definition. <laughs> May hit the cut floor. No, but it was good. It was yeah, good. And I want to build off of what you said because I I agree with you. You know, trust is this this scale, right? And we talk about it when we talk about building safe spaces, um, trust is really that foundation to building relationships and ultimately influence. And so trust is really important. I think it's important to know, like to Jill's point, where you fall on that scale and the expectations around it and where you want to be, right? Like sometimes you're low on that scale and you're like, you know, I don't have to work with that person. We have nothing in common. I, I probably will never see them again outside of today. So I don't need to build that trust with that person. But there's other people, right, where we need to be at a place where we're sharing stories and we're laughing and we, you know, like I can tell you things, right? Like there's people that we need to be there with. And if you're not there with, then you need to work on building that if that's something that you need. And so understanding where you are today and where you need to go or, you know, if you just need to stay there, I think that that's important as you think about trust. And it is different for every situation. You don't have to have this high trust with everyone. It's okay to say, you know, I have this low trust in this mattress that is springy and I'm probably not going to sleep well, right? Like, <laughs> I have, right? Like, maybe I trust that my back is going to hurt in the morning, right? Like, and that's okay. That, that mattress serves a purpose. But when I spend a million dollars on a mattress because I'm supposed to feel like I'm sleeping on a cloud, right? Like I want to build some amazing trust or even that organization want to build amazing trust with people because they want them to spend those dollars on that mattress. And that's, you know, obviously just an example. But like knowing where you want people to trust you and where you want people to be on that scale is important. Yeah. And just to add, because I think a lot of times lately we hear trust with vulnerability. And I think that's a really interesting relationship because- it's almost the chicken and the egg. Yeah. Do I want to yes. be vulnerable? Do I have enough trust? Do I trust first and then I can be vulnerable? And I'm like, 
that is a personal choice. <laughs> like sharing true. our stories and where we are, I think is for us to navigate with each relationship. Mm, so it's yeah. not a one size fits all. And whether or not I want to be vulnerable with someone is completely my right. And that's okay, right? And that is okay wherever you are at. Amen. All right, well, yeah. we have a end with a little bit of advice. Don't eat poop. Yeah, we're not planning on doing that anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, ladies. That was great. 